Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come Follow Me lesson for July 26th through August 1st, 2021. This is covering Doctrine and Covenants, section 84. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the scriptures. Can't wait to spend time with you today. Wow, and it looks like it's going to be quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. And now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 22 minutes, 55 seconds. Still very manageable. What would it be if we broke it down daily? 3 minutes, 16 seconds. Excellent. And, although there's no need for time codes... The episode is here. You know, we're just exploring this section, and there should be a lot of exciting things to discover. But right before we get started, don't forget that if you're watching the show on YouTube, links from the show and a PDF of all our quotes and graphics, it's located in the description below. We hope that it helps you in your study. Also, please know that there is an audio-only podcast. You can find it by searching for Scripture Gems on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And if you're already subscribed and listening, you might want to check out the video version of the show on YouTube. Search for the Brother Fulmer channel. Yeah. And with that, let's jump right into the section, Section 84. Let's start with a little background from the Institute Manual. During a conference of priesthood holders held in Amherst, Ohio, on January 25, 1832, a number of elders were called to preach the gospel in various locations in the United States. You might remember that when we were talking about Section 75. In September 1832, some of these elders returned from their missions in the eastern states. Joseph and Emma Smith had just moved from the John and Alice or Elsa Johnson home in Hiram, Ohio, to the living quarters in the Newell K. Whitney store in Kirtland, Ohio. When the missionaries returned to Kirtland, they reported their experiences, and the Prophet Joseph Smith rejoiced in their success. While the Prophet was with these elders on September 22nd, he inquired of the Lord and received revelation about the priesthood. The Prophet continued to receive instruction from the Lord the following day, September 23rd. This revelation received over two days is recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 84. Several individuals witnessed the Prophet Joseph Smith dictate the revelation. Doctrine and Covenants 84.1 suggests that six elders were present as the dictation began, but a note in an original handwritten copy of the revelation indicates that ten high priests were present during the latter part of the revelation. Nice. Well, let's jump into it. Let's start in verse 3. The first two verses, he introduces the idea of the city of New Jerusalem. In verse 3, which city, the New Jerusalem, shall be built beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri, and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith, Jr., and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Verily, this is the word of the Lord, that the city, New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints, beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation. Now that term, this generation, 
the Lord often uses terms that are sometimes considered more specific and other times not. For example, how often has the Lord said, I come quickly or I come suddenly? And that's been happening for a long time, which gives us the idea that we can be thinking about that term in another way. Let's look at what President Joseph Fielding Smith has to say from his book, Church History and Modern Revelation. This quote is found in the 2001 Institute Manual. He says, there have been various interpretations of the meaning of a generation. It is held by some that a generation is 100 years, by others that it is 120 years, by others that a generation, as expressed in this and other scriptures, has reference to a period of time which is indefinite. The Savior said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. This did not have reference to a period of years, but to a period of wickedness. A generation may mean the time of this present dispensation. Makes sense to me. So going on in verse 6, here we take a parenthetical moment to go over the priesthood line of authority of Moses, Abraham, and some others. Note that in verse 6, there are names that we know, like Moses and Jethro, but in the next seven verses, we are given names of individuals about whom we have no record. Interestingly, there are some of these names that might seem a little out of place. Right. In verse 10, we have the name Jeremy, which we recognized as an anglicized version of the Hebrew name Jeremiah, not the Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah, different guy. And in verses 11 through 13, we have Isaiah, and we recognize that as the Greek version of the Hebrew name Isaiah. Again, not the Isaiah that we all know and love. He would come much later. But I would suggest that the heritages of the names are not nearly as important as the evidence that the priesthood was passed on through ordination. I have full faith that in the future we will have a clear explanation of these individuals mentioned in this revelation. But for now, just understand that there were people who passed this ordination on. Note that the priesthood line from Moses seems to end with Isaiah, who, quote, received it under the hand of God. That's in verse 12. There's clearly a story there we don't have. Yeah. I'm really interested in it, though. Yeah, me too. The line from Enoch to Adam is kind of quickly summarized, but it will be greatly expanded later in Doctrine and Covenants section 107, and we'll talk about that at that lesson. Now, in verse 17, it ends by saying, Which priesthood continueth in the church of God in all generations and is without beginning of days or end of years? This is similar to a phrase found in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. And it makes me wonder if he had recently translated Hebrews as part of his inspired translation. Maybe that had it fresh in his mind. Yeah, regardless, this whole thing is such a great illustration of the eternal nature of priesthood. Yeah. Wrapping up in verse 18, And the Lord confirmed a priesthood also upon Aaron and his seed throughout all their generations, which priesthood also continueth and abideth forever with the priesthood which is after the holiest order of God. Now, there's a unique phrase. So, the Aaronic priesthood abideth forever with the Melchizedek priesthood, or the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. 
And that's something else that we'll talk about in Doctrine and Covenants section 107. And I think this idea can be expanded on a little bit more with this quote from the prophet Joseph Smith. It's found in the teachings of the presidents of the church, Joseph Smith, and it's referenced in the Institute Manual. He says, The priesthood was first given to Adam. He obtained the first presidency and held the keys of it from generation to generation. He obtained it in the creation before the world was formed. He is Michael, the archangel, spoken of in the scriptures. Then to Noah, who is Gabriel, he stands next in authority to Adam in the priesthood. These men held keys first on earth and then in heaven. The priesthood is an everlasting principle and existed with God from eternity and will to eternity without beginning of days or end of years. There's that line again. Great Mm -hmm. stuff. Now, priesthood line of authority is something that is very interesting in the church and that if you haven't seen it, this is something that I would recommend that you seek out. When I was on my mission many, 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 many years ago, I had sought out my priesthood line of authority and I was very pleased to have obtained it and it's really nice and a personal thing for me. I was excited to see in the Come Follow Me manual under the Ideas for Family Scripture Study and Home Evening, they say this, Why is it important that we can trace priesthood authority in the church today back to the authority of Jesus Christ? But then in the next sentence they say, To request a priesthood line of authority, send an email to lineofauthority at churchofjesuschrist.org. Oh, that's awesome. I had no idea that the church had offered that service. I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great resource. And I would strongly encourage any of you priesthood holders out there, if you don't know your line of authority, send an email. It's really neat. Yep, that is exciting. Well, let's get back to the Revelation, though, starting in verse 19. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest, and without the ordinances thereof, and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Interesting phrasing. This is expanded on in the Institute Manual, which offers this commentary. Without the power of godliness, no man or woman can endure the presence of God. Moses saw God and spoke with him face to face, and he said he would have withered and died had he not been transfigured before God. As recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 67, the Lord taught that only those quickened by the Spirit of God can see God's face and abide his presence. These accounts refer to transfiguration, a temporary change that has allowed righteous people in various dispensations to see God and live. However, Doctrine and Covenants 84, verses 20 through 22, teaches of being sanctified, a lasting change to our fallen nature that comes through the ordinances and covenants of the Melchizedek priesthood. The Lord taught Adam that no unclean thing can dwell in his presence. Only by receiving the ordinances 
through the power of the priesthood and keeping the associated covenants, can we be cleansed from sin and become holy and pure like God. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, if you wish to go where God is, you must be like God or possess the principles which God possesses. I love that last line. It's a very powerful teaching. Yeah, such a great principle taught in such a short statement. Now, if we go on in verses 23 through 28, it describes that because the children of Israel hardened their hearts, they lost the opportunity to receive the Melchizedek priesthood and the associated ordinances in this life. However, the Lord continued to help them progress. He allowed the lesser priesthood or the Aaronic priesthood to continue with them, which culminated in the mission of John the Baptist. Let's take a look at verse 28. Speaking of John the Baptist, for he was baptized while he was yet in his childhood and was ordained by the angel of God at the time he was eight days old unto this power. And what is this power? Going on, to overthrow the kingdom of the Jews and to make straight the way of the Lord before the face of his people, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord in whose hand is given all power. That description of John the Baptist is one of the most exciting verses or set of verses that help us to better understand his importance. The Bible Dictionary, in its entry on John the Baptist, has a really great statement summarizing the significance of his mission right at the end of the entry. It says, His ministry has operated in three dispensations. He was the last of the prophets under the law of Moses. He was the first of the New Testament prophets, and he brought the Aaronic priesthood to the dispensation of the fullness of times. Great resource, that Bible dictionary. You know, in verse 26, it labels the Aaronic priesthood as the lesser priesthood. From the Institute Manual, there's a great quote that I found from Bishop Keith B. McMullen who served in the presiding bishopric at the time. This is from the October 1997 General Conference. He says, quote, The lesser portion of the gospel encompasses vital, saving truths and rests on the cornerstones of obedience and sacrifice. These truths school men and women, boys and girls, in the fundamentals of righteousness. They consist of repentance, baptism, and observance of the law of carnal commandments unto the remission of sins. Carnal commandments are those that enable us to overcome the lusts, passions, and desires of our natural and mortal bodies and minds. This lesser portion of the gospel will nourish those who are new in the church, lead back those who have strayed, help young people recognize and overcome the temptations and deceptions of the world. Without this preparation, the fullness of gospel blessings cannot be realized or enjoyed. The responsibility for administering this preparatory portion of the gospel is entrusted to the Aaronic priesthood, end quote. Wonderful. In verse 29, we get a reference to the phrase high priesthood. And while sometimes that means the Melchizedek priesthood, in this context, it's referring specifically to the office of high priest. So in the Melchizedek priesthood, the offices of elder and bishop are appendages to the office of high priest. 
Similarly, in verse 30, we learn that the offices of teacher and deacon are appendages to the office of priest in the Aaronic priesthood. So if we take a look going on in verses 31 through 32, there's a phrase you might want to take note of. The sons of Moses refers to those who hold the Melchizedek priesthood, and the phrase sons of Aaron refers to those who hold the Aaronic priesthood. Now, going forward in verses 33 through 44, this is known as the oath and covenant of the priesthood. These verses outline, one, the covenants a person makes when he receives the priesthood, and two, the promises the Lord makes to faithful priesthood holders. Let's take a look, starting in verse 33. For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining these two priesthoods, of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. They become the sons of Moses, and of Aaron, and the seed of Abraham, and the church and kingdom, and the elect of God. And also they who receive this priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. And he that receiveth my servants receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my father. And he that receiveth my father receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore all that my father hath shall be given unto him. And this is according to the oath and covenant which belong to the priesthood. Therefore all those who receive the priesthood receive this oath and covenant of my father, which he cannot break, neither can it be moved. But whoso breaketh this covenant after he hath received it, and altogether turneth therefrom, shall not have forgiveness of sins in this world, nor in the world to come. And woe unto all those who come not unto this priesthood which ye have received, which I now confirm upon you, who are present this day by mine own voice out of the heavens. And even I have given the heavenly hosts and mine angels charge concerning you. Wow, very powerful. Now, I don't know if you noticed some of the blessings in particular that are mentioned there. Let me just call some of those out that I noticed as John was reading. In 33, the blessing to be sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. And in verse 34, they become the seed of Abraham and the elect of God. In 38, to be given all that the Father hath which is pretty incredible. And then 42, John just read, I have given the heavenly hosts and mine angels charge concerning you. And those are some of the blessings for those who, like in verse 40, receive the oath and covenant. From the Institute Manual, President Henry B. Eyring, in a conference talk from the April 2008 General Conference, spoke of the confidence that priesthood holders should have when entering into the oath and covenant of the priesthood. He says, quote, Rising to the possibilities of the oath and covenant brings the greatest of all the gifts of God, eternal life. That is a purpose of the Melchizedek priesthood. Through keeping the covenants as we receive the priesthood and renewing them in the temple ceremonies, we are promised by an oath made by our heavenly Father, Elohim, that we will gain the fullness of his glory and live as he lives we will have the blessing of being sealed in a family forever with the promise of eternal increase. The very fact that you have been 
offered the oath and covenant is evidence that God has chosen you, knowing your power and capacity. He has known you since you were with him in the spirit world. With his foreknowledge of your strength, he has allowed you to find the true church of Jesus Christ and to be offered the priesthood. You can feel confidence because you have evidence of his confidence in you. Close quote. You know, the Institute Manual had one more observation that I wanted to include about this oath and covenant of the priesthood. This comes from Elder Paul B. Piper of the Seventy, and it's from an Enzyme article in January 2016. He says, quote, The full blessings of the priesthood are received together as husband and wife, or not at all. It is interesting that in the oath and covenant of the priesthood, the Lord uses the verbs obtain and receive. He does not use the verb ordain. It is in the temple that men and women together obtain and receive the blessings and power of both the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods, end quote. That's a really good observation. I like that. Wonderful. Let's go on in verses 43 through 48, but let's take a break in these sets of verses and look for what the Lord is talking about when referring to the power of studying and applying the Word of God. Let's start in 43. And now I give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life. For you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. Notice that caution. Give diligent heed in verse 43. Live by every word in verse 44. Those should be important principles we think about when studying the Word of God. It's quite the endorsement of the Scriptures. Uh, certainly is. So let's take a look in the next couple of verses for other words the Lord uses to describe His Word. 45. For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. Now, those are some interesting descriptions Think for a minute of times that you have been inspired and even divinely enlightened, but it was from something that was not necessarily church-related. Perhaps it was a beautiful painting or a piece of music. I think there's room in that verse to remember that all of those things come from God, even though they're not necessarily directly attached to the church of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to verse 47. What happens if we hearken to that voice of the Spirit? And everyone that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit cometh unto God, even the Father. And the Father teacheth him of the covenant which he has renewed and confirmed upon you, which is confirmed upon you for your sakes, and not for your sakes only, but for the sake of the whole world. So while we are talking about the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
There's a quote from Elder Richard G. Scott that I found in the Institute Manual. This comes from October 2004 General Conference. He adds this clarity to that. Quote, The light of Christ is that divine power or influence that emanates from God through Jesus Christ. It gives light and life to all things. It prompts all rational individuals throughout the earth to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong. It activates your conscience. Its influence can be weakened through transgression and addiction and restored through proper repentance. The light of Christ is not a person. It is a power and influence that comes from God and when followed can lead a person to qualify for the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Ghost. End quote. That's a great description. Well, going back to what Jay just read, in verse 48, it mentions that this covenant was confirmed upon you for the sake of the whole world. That's interesting. What does that mean? Well, let's keep exploring then in verse 49. And the whole world lieth in sin and groaneth under darkness and under the bondage of sin. And by this you may know that they are under the bondage of sin, because they come not unto me. Let's pause there just a second. All of us are going to sin, but what's the difference between a repentant sinner and being under the bondage of sin? And it's right there in verse 50. Because they come not unto me. All will sin and fall short, but sin isn't the problem. It's unrepentant sin that's the problem. And that's where the bondage comes from, because we do not come to Jesus Christ, the one that can elevate us beyond our sinful nature. Going on in verse 51, And whoso cometh not unto me is under the bondage of sin. And whoso receiveth not my voice is not acquainted with my voice, and is not of me. And by this you may know the righteous from the wicked, and that the whole world groaneth under sin and darkness even now. In verse 52, it says that those that are not of Christ are those that are not acquainted with his voice, and they're not acquainted with his voice because they have not received his voice. How much more, then, should we share what we know? Now, to be clear, I think these verses certainly apply to the members of the church and Christians who are striving to know Christ, we all at different levels receive his voice and therefore become more acquainted with his voice. That's a process. But I think we should also think about how important that what the difference that makes to the world, what we can share and what we can know to help people receive his voice. Let's take a look at the next few verses, starting in verse 54. And your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief. And because you have treated lightly the things you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation, and this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion even all. (laughs) Now, there's something coming up here. But before we go into what that treated lightly is referring to, I want to notice the difference. Remember the verses that we just read prior to this, People didn't know or adhere to the voice of Christ because they weren't acquainted with his voice. They didn't receive his voice. Now, that can be a choice, but it also can be because they didn't have the opportunity. What's being referred to 
in what John just read is different than a lack of light in the world. This is personal darkness by choice. There's a great quote from Elder Bruce R. McConkie from a BYU devotional he gave back in June of 1980 called The Seven Deadly Heresies. And I love how he describes this. He says, sometimes a speaker brings a jug of living water that has in it many gallons. And when he pours it out on the congregation, all the members have brought is a single cup. So that's all they take away. Or maybe they have their hands over the cups and they don't get anything to speak of. <laughs> Remember nice how much our responsibility is to receive what's being given. So let's talk about that. We've been told here in verse 54 that we've treated lightly the things that we have received. What things? What are we talking about? The Lord gives the answer in the next few verses. 57, and they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon and the former commandments, which I have given them not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written, that they may bring forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom. Otherwise there remaineth a scourge and judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. So that's reference to the Book of Mormon, and I would submit that the former commandments would be those in the Bible. From the Institute Manual, we get this famous quote from President Ezra Taft Benson. This comes from... October 1986 General Conference. Very famous talk. He says, quote, Brothers and sisters, I implore you with all my heart that you consider with great solemnity the importance of the Book of Mormon to you personally and to the church collectively. Over 10 years ago, I made the following statement regarding the Book of Mormon. Do eternal consequences rest upon our response to this book? Yes, either to our blessing or our condemnation. Every Latter-day Saint should make the study of this book a lifetime pursuit. Otherwise, he is placing his soul in jeopardy and neglecting that which could give spiritual and intellectual unity to his whole life. I reaffirm those words to you this day. Let us not remain under condemnation with its scourge and judgment by treating lightly this great and marvelous gift the Lord has given to us. Rather, let us win the promises associated with treasuring it up in our hearts, end quote. So inspiring. Indeed. All right, going on in verse 62, therefore. So think of everything we've just talked about. And now we have a therefore. Because of all of that that we talked about, now this. Therefore go ye into all the world, and unto whatsoever place ye cannot go, ye shall send, that the testimony may go from you into all the world unto every creature. And as I said unto mine apostles, even so I say unto you, for you are mine apostles, even God's high priests. Ye are they whom my Father hath given me. Ye are my friends. Therefore, as I said unto mine apostles, I say unto you again, that every soul who believeth on your words and is baptized by water for the remission of sins shall receive the Holy Ghost. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall do many wonderful works." 
In my name they shall cast out devils. In my name they shall heal the sick. In my name they shall open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. And the tongue of the dumb shall speak. And if any man shall administer poison unto them, it shall not hurt them. And the poison of a serpent shall not have power to harm them. But a commandment I give unto them, that they shall not boast themselves of these things, neither speak them before the world. For these things are given unto you for your profit and for salvation. The Institute Manual gave a quote from Elder David A. Bednar. This was from a New Era article in August of 2015. But I think it adds an interesting modern spin on this commission to go ye into all the world. He says, quote, The Lord is hastening his work, and it is no coincidence that these powerful communication innovations and inventions are occurring in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Social media channels are global tools that can personally and positively impact large numbers of individuals and families. And I believe the time has come for us as disciples of Christ to use these inspired tools appropriately and more effectively to testify of God the Eternal Father, His plan of happiness for His children, and His Son, Jesus Christ, as the Savior of the world, to proclaim the reality of the restoration of the gospel in the latter days, and to accomplish the Lord's work. What has been accomplished thus far in this dispensation, communicating gospel messages through social media channels, is a good beginning, but only a small trickle. I now extend to you the invitation to help transform the trickle into a flood. I exhort you to sweep the earth with messages filled with righteousness and truth, messages that are authentic, edifying, and praiseworthy and literally to sweep the earth as with a flood, end quote. That is, you know, they never would have dreamed of that in Joseph's day. They never would have dreamed of that in Jesus Christ's day. Oh, certainly not, that those tools would be available to flood the earth. Wonderful. In verses 77 through 88, the Lord records the reassurance to the missionaries that he would care for their needs. He also promised them other blessings if they would fulfill their responsibility to preach the gospel. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. In verse 80, And any man that shall go and preach this gospel of the kingdom, and fail not to continue faithful in all things, shall not be weary in mind, neither darkened, neither in body, limb, nor joint, and a hair of his head shall not fall to the ground unnoticed, and they shall not go hungry, neither athirst. Let's go down to verse 85. Neither take ye thought beforehand what ye shall say, but treasure up in your minds continually the words of life, and it shall be given you in the very hour that portion that shall be meted unto every man. Therefore, let no man among you, for this commandment is unto all the faithful who are called of God in the church unto the ministry. From this hour take purse or scrip that goeth forth to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. So that last verse in particular is a call that for this hour, let no man among you take purse or scrip 
when they go forth to proclaim the gospel. So let's talk about that for a minute. Purse or script, this is a line from the New Testament that you might recognize. The Institute Manual gives this clarification, quote, In the Savior's day, a purse carried money, and a scrip or small bag carried food and other supplies, end quote. So what is promised if these missionaries move forward with faith and trust in the Lord and go forth without purse or scrip? In verse 87, Behold, I send you out to reprove the world of all their unrighteous deeds and to teach them of a judgment which is to come. And whoso receiveth you, there I will be also. For I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left. And my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. It's an extremely powerful promise. There's a quote from a talk from President Henry B. Eyring, a very famous talk in April 2012 General Conference called Mountains to Climb, where he reminds us, quote, We never need to feel that we are alone or unloved in the Lord's service because we never are. We can feel the love of God. The Savior has promised angels on our left and on our right to bear us up, and he always keeps his word, end quote. Well, and let's build on that in another talk that Elder Irene gave in April 2016 General Conference. He explained one way that the church members may experience the fulfillment of the promises we just talked about. Quote, the first thing you must commit to do is to go and serve, knowing that you do not go alone. When you go to comfort and serve anyone for the Savior, he prepares the way before you. Now, as the return missionaries here tonight will tell you, that doesn't mean that every person behind every door is prepared to welcome you or that every person you try to serve will thank you. But the Lord will go before your face to prepare the way. One of the ways he goes before your face is to prepare the heart of a person he has asked you to serve. He will prepare your heart as well. You will also find that the Lord puts helpers by your side, on your right, on your left, and all around you. You do not go alone to serve others for him. Now, going on as we look at verses 89 through 97, that block, the Lord affirmed that those who accept his missionaries also accept him and will be blessed. On the other hand, those who reject God's servants and his word will forfeit blessings and be cursed. Let's take a look at verse 98. This introduces a new song. These verses contain the words of a song of joy and praise associated with the redemption of Zion. The phrase redemption of Zion refers to the conditions that God's covenant people will one day enjoy because they have chosen to come unto him and receive all the ordinances and blessings of the gospel. The song of the redemption of Zion will be sung after the second coming of Jesus Christ, when all people who remain on the earth will come to know him. So let's take a look at that in verse 98. Until all shall know me who remain, even from the least unto the greatest, and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice, and with the voice together sing this new song, saying, 
The Lord hath brought again Zion. The Lord hath redeemed his people Israel, according to the election of grace, which was brought to pass by the faith and covenant of their fathers. The Lord hath redeemed his people, and Satan is bound, and time is no longer. The Lord hath gathered all things in one. The Lord hath brought down Zion from above. The Lord hath brought up Zion from beneath. The earth hath travailed and brought forth her strength, and truth is established in her bowels. And the heavens have smiled upon her, and she is clothed with the glory of her God, for he stands in the midst of his people. Glory and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God, for he is full of mercy, justice, grace, and truth, and peace for ever and ever. Amen. Now, if you look around on the internet, you'll find that several composers have written songs to these words. Various styles have been tried, from straight-on hymn style to folk song and even modern spiritual. But I don't know that we have the final rendition of this particular song written yet, but it will be interesting when we do. Well, the words are certainly beautiful and inspiring. In verses 103 to 105, there's further counsel to the missionaries. In verses 103 and 104, if they receive gifts of money, send it home to your family, or if you don't have a family, send it to the bishop in Zion or Kirtland to add to the storehouse. And in 105, if they receive a gift of clothes, coat or suit, give your old clothes to the poor. Going on in verse 106, And if any man among you be strong in the spirit, let him take with him him that is weak that he may be edified in all meekness, that he may become strong also. Now, before we go on, think for a minute about what that means to you, that phrase, strong in the spirit. When you think of that, what characteristics are demonstrated by somebody who is strong in the spirit? Have you met someone like that? Have you had an opportunity to be someone like that for someone that is weak? Let's go on in verse 107. Therefore, take with you those who are ordained unto the lesser priesthood, and send them before you to make appointments, and to prepare the way, and to fill appointments that you yourselves are not able to fill. Behold, this is the way that mine apostles in ancient days built up my church unto me. Therefore, let every man stand in his own office, and labor in his own calling. And let not the head say unto the feet, it hath no need of the feet. For without the feet, how shall the body be able to stand? Also, the body hath need of every member, that all may be edified together, that the system may be kept perfect. That's kind of an allusion to the body of Christ that Paul gives us in the New Testament, right? Yep. From the Institute Manual, we get this quote from then-President Dieter F. Uchtdorf, from the October 2008 General Conference of famous talk called Lift Where You Stand. He says, quote, You may feel that there are others who are more capable or more experienced who could fulfill your callings and assignments better than you can. But the Lord gave you your responsibilities for a reason. There may be people and hearts only you can reach and touch. Perhaps no one else could do it in quite the same way. End quote. May I just offer, and I have in the past, offer a testimony that that is true. 
Notice there that he says, perhaps no one else could do it as good. He didn't say that. He said, could do it in quite the same way, which means you may find yourself not doing your calling as well as you'd like to be doing your calling, especially if you compare to other people you think can do it better or have done it better. But it's about how you can do it, what you will bring to it. And maybe it won't be the best Relief Society president or the best teacher or whatever your calling is, but you're going to do it in a particular way that the Lord can use to bless the lives of others. For those who would feel inadequate in their current calling and might look at someone else and say, well, they could do it so much better, ask yourself this question. What is the important difference between you and that other person? And I would submit that it's this answer. You were called. The other person was not. And that's really the only difference that matters. And that should give you confidence, because obviously the Lord has confidence in you. Well, let's wrap up the section. After giving some instructions to Bishop Newell K. Whitney and other priesthood leaders, the Lord made a promise to his servants who go forth in faith. Let's take a look in verse 117. And verily I say unto you, the rest of my servants, go ye forth as your circumstances shall permit, in your several callings, unto the great and notable cities and villages, reproving the world in righteousness of all their unrighteous and ungodly deeds, setting forth clearly and understandingly the desolation of abomination in the last days. Hmm, desolation of abomination... What might he be referring to? And where could we go for answers? Yeah, if there was only something that Some could tell us what dictionary. that would mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe there is. Perhaps we should look in the Bible dictionary under abomination of desolation. What a good idea. And if we did that, here's what it would say. Daniel spoke prophetically of a day when there would be the abomination that maketh desolate. And the phrase was recoined in New Testament times to say the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Conditions of desolation born of abomination and wickedness were to occur twice in fulfillment of Daniel's words. The first was to be when the Roman legions under Titus in A.D. 70 laid siege to Jerusalem. Speaking of the last days, of the days following the restoration of the gospel and its declaration for a witness unto all nations, Our Lord said, And again shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet be fulfilled. That is, Jerusalem again will be under siege. In a general sense, abomination of desolation also describes the latter-day judgments to be poured out upon the wicked wherever they may be. And so that the honest in heart may escape these things, The Lord sends his servants forth to raise the warning voice to declare the glad tidings of the restoration, lest desolation and utter abolishment come upon them. The elders are commanded to reprove the world in righteousness of all their unrighteous and ungodly deeds, setting forth clearly and understandingly the desolation of abomination in the last days. That is helpful. So there you go. Thank you, Bible Dictionary. We love you. Let's look at the power of these promises in the last few verses. 118. For with you, saith the Lord Almighty, 
I will rend their kingdoms. I will not only shake the earth, but the starry heavens shall tremble. For I, the Lord, have put forth my hand to exert the powers of heaven. Ye cannot see it now, yet a little while, and ye shall see it, and know that I am, and that I will come and reign with my people. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen. Wow. That's such a neat image, that concept of, I will not only shake the earth, but the starry heavens shall tremble. It's just a reminder that not only does he control the earth, he controls the heavens, he controls everything. Yeah, and what a powerful way to end this revelation, especially all that we've learned about the eternal nature of priesthood and our responsibilities in service to others. Well, what a wonderful lesson we've had today. We're very grateful for the opportunity to have gone over this section. So many things to have learned and so many gems to have found and to cherish. Keep reading your scriptures. We look forward to talking about so many more revelations with you, and we will do so in our next lesson. We'll look forward to seeing you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we're really big fans. 